Good morning, good morning. I hope you're doing fantastic. I hope your year is off to a great start. If it's not, you've got 362 days to, to make up for a bad start. So here we go. Uh, I want you to answer a couple of questions. Now, this is very, very important. Are you ready? The first one, it's okay for you to answer out loud. The second one, I don't want you to answer out loud. You got it? Okay, first one, safe to answer out loud if you want to. Second one, do not answer it out loud. Here's the first one. Who is the best storyteller that you know? Is there somebody inside of your family? Is there somebody that you went to high school with? Is there somebody that you just know that is just the absolute best storyteller that you know? Uh, for me, Judson Ardwan from First Baptist Church of Eunice is the best storyteller I have ever known it is you would just say Judson tell number 17 I mean it was just everyone knew his stories they were fantastic all right here's the second question I remember the rules the first one it was okay to say out loud the second one you, you want to pipe down who's the worst storyteller that you know again don't, don't, don't say it Don't say it out loud, particularly if you're sitting next to them or if they happen to be preaching at this moment. Don't say it out loud. Now, here's what makes somebody, I think, from studying this, what makes someone the worst storyteller possible. It's when their stories are so long and drawn out, and it seems as though they have no point whatsoever. Not that you've ever met anybody liked that at all. I see people telling names here. Uh, you don't want these long drawn out stories that have no point. We're going to begin a sermon series looking at Jesus who, who probably was the greatest storyteller ever. And, and here's the reason why Jesus is the greatest storyteller ever. Because his stories are short but they always pack a punch. They are short, they're pithy. Even the longest one would still be considered barely on the back of a cereal box length kind of story. But when he tells a story, they are packed with a punch. They are packed with a punch with, um, with just like, ooh, I, I can relate to that. Uh, they, they are packed with a punch uh, because there, there's some humor in a lot of the stories. But they are packed with a punch because they will rearrange your life. And so I love to teach about the stories that Jesus told. And, and over the years to come, as we spend our ministry and our lives together, we will come back to stories that Jesus told. But for this season, the stories that we're going to look at in terms of Jesus' telling, we're going to focus on the stories that Jesus tells about discipleship. What it means to be a follower of Jesus. What it means to live the Jesus life. In fact, one of the things that we want you to know about is that we want you to know that a growing disciple joyfully embraces the patterns, priorities, and purpose of Jesus. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so we kind of want to unpack some of these stories that Jesus is telling about what it means to live the Jesus life. Now, what I want you to notice is that in the story that we looked at just a few moments ago, that Jesus' very simple act of calling a single disciple immediately kicks off an immense amount of discussion about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to live the Jesus life. He walks up, calls Levi, and says, follow me. A two-word sermon, follow 
me. But what happens from that is there's this all kinds of discussion about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, if you read the passage with just a little bit of an eye to detail, I want you to notice that there are three different sets of disciples in this passage of Scripture. As you read the passage, it tells us that there are the disciples of John, and it tells us this thing about the disciples of John. It makes reference to the disciples of the Pharisees, and then it also is talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Three different sets of disciples in this place. Now very quickly, the disciples of John would have been disciples of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, the forerunner, the one who prepared the way for Jesus to come. To be a disciple of John the Baptist would have been a great decision to be, to listen to that preacher that was pointing and preparing the way for Jesus. So you have part of this, this set of disciples called the disciples of John the Baptist. It would be great to be a disciple of John the Baptist. You also see here the disciples of the Pharisees. Now. We, we kind of have been patterned in our lives to just kind of see the word Pharisee and pull back. But I will tell you that there were some strengths to the lifestyle and the worldview of the Pharisees. The Pharisees took seriously the word of God. Now we want to be the kind of people who take seriously the word of God. The Pharisees were the kind of people who expected God to intervene in life. So there are some ways in which being one of the disciples of the Pharisees wouldn't be a bad choice to make. But I also want to just kind of point out by the fact that we've got Pharisees, or the disciples of John, disciples of the Pharisees, disciples of Jesus, here's the reality. Even though you may not necessarily use the word the discipleship very often, there's a really, really good chance that you are a disciple of something or someone, whether you've ever identified that or not. There are people, there are ideas, there are priorities that we are pattering our lives after and say, that's the direction that I want to go. That's the kind of person that I want to be. I want to dress like that person. I want to look like that person. I want to cook like that person. I want to work like that person. I want to play like that person. Again, you probably wouldn't say that out loud. But there are some influencers around us that we are probably following some pattern for our lives. Now here's the good news this morning. Jesus changes our lives completely. Jesus changes our lives completely. Jesus is completely life-changing in all that we do. Now that is good news if you wake up at the beginning of 2021 and say, I need something. I need this to be different. I, I need some hope. Hey, this is great news if you're the kind of person that does not want to just live an average life. Hey, this is great news for a kind of person who says, if I'm going to go in, I'm going to go in 100%. Jesus is completely life-changing. So let's think about what we see in this passage of Scripture and the parable that Jesus tells about what life looks like as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. I want you to know, and I want you to see in this passage of Scripture, that the Jesus life is an inviting life. 
Jesus' life is an inviting life. Take a look at it beginning there in verse 27. It tells us that Jesus went out, saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. So here at the beginning of this passage of Scripture, there is a guy who is on the outside, a person who does not belong to the followers of Jesus. Jesus has a group that already follows him. He has a group that's with him. And immediately he steps away from the group that is following him, finds somebody who is on the outside of the circle, and says, Levi, come and follow me. Now you guys know the story of Levi. Levi is a tax collector. Uh, that means that nobody has a good financial transaction with Levi. Everyone kind of feels like Levi is, is ripping them off. Everybody kind of feels like, man, that was a bad deal. He took advantage of me. Not only that, but when he is not just collecting taxes for your government, he is collecting taxes for the occupying enemy force who is paying for the government, who is paying for the soldiers who make sure that you aren't free. So there's an immense amount of animosity toward Levi. Not only that, but there's a little something in there in terms of his name being Levi. Uh, kind of tells us that maybe he's from the tree, tribe of the Levites, which means that Levi probably by his birthright should be spending his time at the temple as a priest. Instead, he's spending his time as a tax collector, ripping people off so that he can line the pockets of Rome and also himself. He's an outsider. But Jesus steps away from the insiders to the people who are not yet followers of him. And he walks up to Levi and says, follow me. Now Levi, whether he's been watching, whether he's been curious, whether he's been doing side research on Jesus, or just whether the fact that somebody like Jesus would walk up to him and say, I know who you are, I know what you do, but come hang out with me and follow me. Whatever it is, it says Levi leaves everything behind. He leaves behind the job. He leaves behind the wealth. He leaves behind the connections. He leaves behind everything that he's built his life toward. And the next thing he does is he takes everybody that he knows, throws a party, and says, you've got to meet Jesus. Now, do you know who gets invited to this party? It's all of the other people on the outside. It's all of his tax collector buddies. They go to tax collector conventions together. I don't know how that works, but, but, but they, 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 they do tax collector things together. They, they trade secrets on how to rip people off in a, in a, in a better way and, and all of this stuff, and then they have other friends. Now, it's interesting. It, it says that, that Levi invited his tax collectors and others. When the Pharisees describe the party, it says tax collectors and sinners, they, the tax collector, the, the Pharisees kind of paint everybody else. But either way, it's the outsiders. And Jesus shows up at this party because Jesus is interested in the people who are not yet here. And if we're going to live the Jesus life, then we have to be the kind of people who are also interested in the people who are not yet here, the people who have not yet heard about Jesus, the people who have not yet felt transformed by the power of Jesus, the people who may feel whatever reason because of what they do for a living, because of what they grew up, because of their lack of knowledge, whatever it may be, they may feel like they are on the outside. But Jesus cared about the people on the outside, the people who are not yet here. 
Now, if I think about that for us in this season of history, I think that we always have a struggle with thinking about the people who aren't here. It's always difficult to keep track of the people who aren't here. Because the people that we see are the people who are here. But I think that there is this calling. I know that there's this calling on us as a people, on us as a church, as us as people who live the Jesus life to be thinking about the people who aren't here. But the problem is that we get used to our own circles and we get used to our own tribes and we get used to our own people that we develop a blind eye for the people outside of our circles, outside of our relationships, outside of our clubs, outside of our tribe, outside of the people that we normally hang out with. In fact, if you take a look across the room today, now, I can always tell when two people wear the same outfit. It's always kind of interesting. I don't see anybody wearing the same outfit today. But for the most part, we look an awful lot alike. If you take a look at our parking lot, we drive pretty similar vehicles. We are a really narrow slice of the community that surrounds us. And what it means to live the Jesus life is that we need to be inviting people who think about the people who are out there. The people who are not yet here. What it means to be an outsider can come in all different sizes and shapes. Your neighbors may not be tax collectors. They may not be sinners. They may, they may, I don't know what their story is. But there's a lot of people who are and feel like they're on the outside. And they are waiting for someone to walk up to them out of the blue to leave their circle, to leave their tribe and engage with that person because to live the Jesus life is to be a person who invites people to Jesus. That's what it looks like. I would also tell you as I look at this passage of Scripture that I would want you to notice here in the text is that I would also want you to notice that the Jesus life is a joyful life. The Jesus life is a joyful life. Now, you're going to get a kick out of this. Remember I said that when Jesus invites someone to be a follower of him, and invites him to be a disciple, all of a sudden it kicks off this debate and this discussion. Did, did you notice where the discussion comes from? The discussion says that the, some people walk up to him and say the disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees they fast and they pray, but your disciples eat and drink. So here comes the distinction that says, listen, there's two teams here. There's the people who fast and pray, and there's the people who eat and drink. <laughs> and Jesus is on team eat and drink. <laughs> you didn't see that coming, did you? Like, well, maybe I'm living more of the Jesus life than I thought. I've been eating and drinking since, since Thanksgiving. Man, I've, I've never been had a more spiritual month in my entire life. What, what, what is this all about that Jesus would say, eating and drinking, that's my team? That's not what we expect when we read the passage. 
That that's not what we expect when we think about Jesus and what it means to be a good Christian person. So how on earth does Jesus say, my team is the eating and drinking team? What he says is, this is like a wedding. And when you come to a wedding, it is joyful. It is exciting. It is a celebration. It is an event that you've waited and planned for and imagined and daydreamed and you just couldn't wait. You had a countdown and how many more days until the wedding day comes and here is the feast. And on that day, you don't show up. Well, I guess I have to be here, and I really would like to be someplace else, and oh, you wouldn't believe how terrible my life is. You'd be the worst wedding guest around. This is a party, and Jesus says, when I show up, when I arrive, it is like the wedding day, and it is like the party. This is what you've been waiting for. Celebrate. Be joyful. This is it. Eat, drink, celebrate. This is what you've been waiting for the whole time. Don't you dare. Walk around like it's the worst day ever. Jesus, the Son of God, just showed up to your house. It's a joyful, joyful moment. Am I right? Now, if I'm right, and I am because I'm just saying what Jesus said, then on occasion, we need to remind our face that this is a good thing and a joyful thing. And on occasion, brother, sister, and my own mirror, we have to remind our disposition that the Jesus life is a joyful life. And on occasion, we have to double check our Facebook feed and remind ourselves this is a joyful life. Jesus has shown up and he's part of my life. It's good. It's good. And we forget that sometimes. And we think that the default mode of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to be unhappy about everything around us. And Jesus says, no, man, I'm on team happy. I am team joy because I have shown up. Hear this, hear this, hear this. Now, parentheses, because we've got to get the whole text in here. He does say that there will come a time in which fasting and prayer is the right thing. He says there'll be a time in which the bridegroom is removed, and he's basically talking about his own death, where there will be a time for fasting and for prayer. And, and, and believer, there, there are going to be times when, when it is time for us to buckle down and to be serious and to fast and to pray. But hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. The default mode of being a follower of Jesus is a joyful life. And that's why we say a growing disciple joyfully embraces the patterns, priorities, and purpose of Jesus. Because it is about joy.
I would also point out to you, and I think you need to see this in the text this morning, is that the Jesus life is a total life. The Jesus life is a total, total life. This is the heart of the parable today. He tells the story about patches and wineskins. And again, this kind of leans back into those disciples of John and those disciples of the Pharisees. And they're asking, well, why aren't you fasting? And why aren't you praying? And, and why are you eating and drinking? And, and all of these things. And, and Jesus tells the story about you can't fix your old clothes by taking a patch of new fabric and sticking it on the old clothes. And he says you cannot take old wineskins and pour new wineskins into them. Now he says with the patches, there, there's some sense that, that, that with the patches, he says the first thing you're going to do, if you take the patch from a new piece of fabric, you're ruining that new piece of fabric. There was a good piece of fabric that you had that you could have used for in so many different ways, and now it's just got this big old hole in it. And, and, it, and, and you have ruined the new piece of fabric. And then when you take the new piece of fabric, and then you stick it on the old clothes, everybody says, huh, got a rip there? You know, you know tear much? Uh, this doesn't fit. It doesn't look right. It doesn't belong together. And everyone knows. Here's the thing, too often we are trying to take our faith in Jesus Christ and to cut out just a new piece of that fabric and stick it on our old life. Whether that be as a decoration or as an embellishment or a patch to fix some part of our old life that is hurting, that is struggling, that needs help. There is just this natural sense, well, I'll just take enough of Jesus so that my life will look a little bit nicer. Or I can patch the place that's broken. And Jesus, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. Belief in me, the Jesus life. You can't just cut out a little section that you want as a patch or as an embellishment because then you have ruined what the whole story of following me is all about. And then when you take the Jesus patch and just slap it onto your old life. It won't work. Jesus says to follow him, the Jesus life, is all encompassing. It is total. He says, you see that fabric? Here's the thing. You've got new fabric. Why would you cut out a piece of that new fabric? To fix the old thing that's going to need more patches when you have the new fabric. Wear the new fabric. It's theirs. It's yours. You have the whole thing. Don't 
patchwork your way to a life in Jesus. He says it's the whole thing. He says the same thing with the wineskins. I'll be honest with you, I've never fermented my own wine. But, but what they tell me is that as the wine ferment, it expands. And so when you put the new wine in the new wineskin, the, the, the wineskin will expand with it. But if it has already done the expanding the last time that you skinned your wine, however you say that, the last time that you did that, there's no more expansion left. If I were to make a list of the top 10 moments of most physical pain of my life, I'd really wonder, what am I doing with my afternoon making this list? But, but if I were, there's an afternoon in Dallas, Texas, that would be high on that list, top four for sure. I attended the Southern Baptist Convention, I think it was about 1996, and it must have been on the way to the airport. Maybe it wasn't exactly on the way to the airport. I needed new black dress shoes. Going to go hang out with all those preachers. I wanted fresh, brand new black dress shoes. And I went to uh, J.C. Penney, and I got some brand new black dress shoes. I really, really liked them, and I put them on, tried them on, walked up and down the, the, the place for uh, a few minutes, and like, yep, these will work. This will do. Probably they were the ones on sale, but I said, these are the ones. So I packed them, and off I went to Dallas, and I put those on, and at the convention, you just stand and stand and stand. You walk around the exhibit halls, and you stand and you stand, and it's time for lunch, and you stand in line for lunch. And then, and then we went from the, when the convention finished, you had to wait for the uh, Dallas Light Rail, is that what it's called? Dallas Light Rail System to get on the little trains from where the convention center is to, to where the hotel was. And of course, this convention of about 20,000 people all got out at the same time and said, hey, let's take the train back. And so I'm just standing and standing, finally get on the train, and, and I'm, there's no seats on the train, and I'm standing. And something happened between when I tried those shoes on and the end of that day, my feet extended some. My feet began to swell. And I got to tell you, it, my feet hurt so bad because those shoes did not allow any room for growth. But let me tell you, if you tried to take your new faith in Jesus and you try to put that in the old wineskins, that have already stretched as far as they can stretch. When that faith, when that presence of Jesus begins to expand inside of you, that old life will not be able to contain the presence of Jesus inside of you. Something is going to have to give. And what Jesus says is we don't just pour in a little bit of Jesus into your old life. He says it is a brand new life. And to the disciples of John the Baptist, it is a great thing to be a disciple of John the Baptist until Jesus shows up and then it's time to be a disciple of Jesus. Being a disciple of John the Baptist is a fine thing. 
until Jesus arrives. Being a disciple of the Pharisees committed to the word of God is a fine thing until the fulfillment of the word of God shows up, till the word becomes flesh. And then to be a disciple of the Pharisees or John the Baptist is an absolute detriment to your life. Don't patchwork or embellish your faith. Don't add your faith in Jesus into a body that has no expectation of further growth inside of your life. When Jesus comes into your life, he plans to grow and to stretch and to expand. And if you just say, Jesus, just bless my old life. And let me just change just a handful of things. Then you've missed the point. Now listen, this is why I think the disciples of John, the disciples of the Pharisees is so important. Listen, for many of you, your life before Jesus was just fine. I mean, you weren't a disciple of Charles Manson. You weren't an axe murderer. You weren't a tax collector. You were not a full-time liar and cheat, although probably on occasion you did lie and cheat. And that's the thing, is that sometimes we look at our lives and say, well, you know, all I need is just a little bit of Jesus. Just a patch to fix a place or two. Just a, a patch to let people know that I'm on the Jesus team. Sometimes we just say, I'll take enough Jesus but there's no room for Jesus to grow inside of our life and for us to change. The Jesus life is a total life. Let's think about now what? Have you been treating Jesus like a patch or a decoration? Have you had a sense that, well, Jesus can get added to my life, but... but you know, I'm not looking for a whole lot of change. Max Licato, in one of his books, asks this question. What if Jesus became you for one day? Now, you didn't change houses. You didn't change friends. You didn't change relationships. You didn't change jobs. You didn't change income brackets. Nothing about your life changed except that Jesus became you for one day. Would it change your heart, your priorities, your passions, your loves, your conversations? Would, would anybody notice that suddenly <laughs> all the inside stuff of your life was different, even if the outside stuff of your life wasn't? Here's the calling for our lives. We are supposed to let Jesus become us. A whole new fabric. A brand new wineskin. We are supposed to let him become us. This morning we're going to respond together in a couple of ways that I want to encourage you to respond this morning. One of the things that we're going to do starting today is that we're going to open up the steps again in a time of response. 
Now, if you come and you want to pray, we ask that you kind of leave some space between each other. We've been doing this long enough. You know what six feet looks like. If you didn't know it before, you, you are now an expert in six feet. So as you come, give each other space here. We're not going to have conversations down front because that's whispering in each other's ears. That's not the best way to do that. But I will be at the back table. Michael's around. Brian's around. Other folks are around. And so we're going to invite you to respond, whether it's right there in your seat, whether it's in your sermon notes, or whether you need to come and pray this morning and ask for a whole new cloth and less patches and less decorations, whatever it may be, we invite you to respond. Our Heavenly Father,